0: In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today.
1: I stood at the edge of Pisgah National Park, taking in the breathtaking vista before me. Towering trees reached towards the sky, their lush green foliage forming a canopy that bathed the forest floor in dappled sunlight. The air carried a crisp freshness, blending the scents of pine and earth, while the chorus of birdsong serenaded my senses. It was in this tranquil wilderness that I found solace and purpose as a park ranger. My name is Jakey, a father to two wonderful children and an occasional gardener in my off-duty hours. The wilderness was my sanctuary where I could reconnect with nature and provide a safe haven for visitors to enjoy the wonders of the park. One day, while tending to my gardening duties, I received an urgent call from the Forest Service. They informed me of a string of mysterious disappearances that had occurred within one of the park's campgrounds Concerned and intrigued, I made my way to the Forest Service Office, where they handed me a map detailing the marked areas where these disturbing incidents had taken place. As I studied the map, a memory stirred within me. There was a hidden cave nestled between the marked locations, unknown to most. It was a secret I had stumbled upon during my exploration of the park's depths, Fear mingled with excitement as I realized that this hidden cave might hold the key to unraveling the mystery. Without informing anyone of my intentions, I embarked on a covert journey towards the unmarked cave. My heart pounded in my chest, adrenaline coursing through my veins. I knew the risks involved, yet my duty as a park ranger propelled me forward. After what felt like an eternity of traversing the dense undergrowth, I finally arrived at the entrance of the cavern. A sense of foreboding hung in the air, as if the very nature of the place held secrets that dared not be spoken. I took a cautious step forward, my senses on high alert. And then I saw it. Before me stood a creature unlike anything I had ever encountered. It resembled a bear, but its form was distinctly humanoid its massive frame loomed over the remnants of its prey gnawing on bones with an unsettling savagery the sight sent shivers down my spine fear mingled with determination as i unholstered my rifle aiming it at the cryptid with a burst of courage i pulled the trigger the deafening crack of the gunshot filling the air The creature let out a pained moan and swiftly disappeared into the depths of the forest, blending seamlessly with its surroundings. Driven by a mixture of duty and curiosity, I pursued the creature through the dense underbrush. But no matter how hard I tried, it remained elusive, disappearing like a ghost into the wilderness. When I returned to the cavern, a scene of horror awaited me. The lifeless bodies of fifteen missing campers lay strewn across the cold, rocky floor. A wave of sorrow washed over me, my heart heavy with the knowledge that I had not arrived in time to save them. I immediately contacted the police, informing them of the grisly discovery. They arrived swiftly, their expressions a mix of shock and disbelief. The weight of my responsibilities as a park ranger settled heavily upon my shoulders, knowing that I had failed those whose lives had been tragically cut short. My buddy, our dogs and I were on our way back from South Zapata Lake in the Rio Grande, Colorado. You pass a historic log cabin about one-half mile and right after the first stream crossing, I noticed a strong smoky smell and could see a thin hair of smoke rising inside the log cabin's fire ring. We put it out with our Nalgene water and, similar to the top post, we're 100% sure the wind would have stoked it and the building would be ashes in the surrounding forest if we didn't. I've seen some pretty strange Canadian trailer park backwoods areas in the Big East River in Muskoka, Ontario. My trip was doing the meanest link route, 18-day, and we stayed near this cabin called the exotic Muskoka Hunting Lounge. Yeah, nothing notably a uh, luff-up, just a lot of random machinery and items scattered about. Just a general hills of eyes feeling, I guess. Also, didn't help my friend was lost for seven hours the day after while taking the wrong turn on an ATV trail portaging the river bend. If alone a TV driver didn't stumble upon him carrying his cedar canvas canoe, he would slept under it that night. We were about 15 days into a 21-day trip in Algonquin Provincial Park staying the night on Eustache Lake, a gorgeous deep lake nestled just outside the Petawa River and were met by a lone traveler stating he'd embarked on a 30-day trip. He asked us if we had any sugar while on the river and our head guide said we didn't have any extra provisions. A few hours pass and he bumps into our crew again near the Eustache portage. He asks again if we have any extra food supplies for him, and the head guide sternly said no. After this, he continued to paddle down the river. Our trip completes the 2.6 kilometers portage and makes camp at the biggest site on the lake, one of three. As we're cooking dinner, we see the solo. Traveler paddle in at dusk, and all the campers, myself included, got some super eerie vibes seeing him paddle in like a shadow paddling across the water. On my 45-day trip to Hudson Bay, we saw a polar bear eating a dead polar bear right near the bay. Spent the night in Fort Severn, the dead polar bear resembled an uncooked rotisserie chicken about the size of a A.V. Once went camping in North Dakota, had a large group of wild bison come by into our campsite, which apparently was common according to the ranger. What was uncommon, however, was the dead coyote hanging off the horn of one of the big male's horns. Yes, apparently coyotes will try to attack the young calves if they think they can get a straggler. Yes, bison horns can gore a coyote pretty nastily. No, no one was brave enough to try and get the coyote corpse off the bison, nor did the bison really seem to mind having a dead animal on its head. Years ago, when I was a kid, my cousins and I went exploring my aunt's property at the time. She once owned a shit ton of land of mainly forest, so it was perfect for hiking around for literal miles and camping out. There was always something new to see, too, including an old destroyed barn. It was pretty much all fallen apart, no roof, with only a couple walls mostly standing. Inside the barn were a bunch of rusty metal things, maybe some kind of old farm equipment, but none of us knew what they were or what they were used for, and the skeletal remains of a horse. Not a complete skeleton, but lots of bones in the skull. None of us knew about the barn or the horse, not even my aunt or uncle. We just left everything there. But my one cousin buried the horse because she felt bad for it. I wish I could go back there again, but my aunt sold the property years ago, and it's mostly developments now with some patches of trees here and there. Hiking around on that land was something in my childhood I'll always cherish, but the horse skeleton always stuck with me. Why was it there? Was it abandoned and left to die? Or did it just die, and whoever owned it never bothered to bury it? It was definitely the weirdest thing I've ever come across while hiking in the woods. I came across a girl's tent near the summit of my hike and thought nothing of it at first, but then I could hear whimpering from inside the tent. I asked if anything was okay, and she asked, are they gone yet? I asked who, and she just started crying really loudly. I opened the tent to find her naked, covered in dirt, and a bloody face as if someone punched her in the nose. Apparently she was joking by herself near dawn to see the sun rise at the summit, and set up her tent at a place where she could get a good view. A group of guys saw that she was alone and decided to rape her. I didn't get the details of the story as that was all she told me. I called 911 and they dispatched a ranger to meet us on the trail. She was taken to the local hospital for a rape kit in her testimony. I quickly went home as well. The really sad part was I heard her say she just turned 18 a few days ago to the ranger when he asked for her aid. The poor girl was out there celebrating her 18th birthday by herself, only to have this happen to her. I was stationed in Idaho at Mountain Home, AFB. The air base is situated at the end of a long road going out into the desert, and at the time, it's been quite a while, so don't know what it's like today. There was only a gas station and a restaurant as you approached the base. Pretty lonely area at the time. As I passed the gas station, it was pretty late at night, around 11.30 p.m. or so. A pewter gray Volkswagen rabbit pulled out suddenly from the station, right in front of me, making me swerve to avoid hitting it. I was pretty PO'd, so took note of the description and the license plate. Just then it vanished. I saw the driver in passenger's head enough to get a a description. My wife just looked at me and said, Did you see that? And we didn't speak about it anymore that night. The next day, I gave the license plate and description to a friend of mine who was a local cop in town and asked him to follow up on it. A few days later, he stopped by the house and asked me if I thought I was being funny and was pretty upset. Not my intention. A vehicle matching that plate and description, with the two people inside that I had described had pulled out from that gas station one year ago at that day and time, and had cut off another vehicle, causing them to get hit and lose control, killing them. Both. It had happened before we moved there, and I had no prior knowledge of it. We all agreed to just avoid talking about it, but he was pretty shaken as well. My uncle was a lorry driver. He would go to many countries in Europe, transporting large kitchen appliances. He would go to many countries between Turkey and England, collecting the goods from Turkey and bringing them to the countries in Europe. And when he came to England, he would visit us. I'm not 100% sure on the details of his job. All I know is kitchen appliances, Turkey, European countries, England. As you know, a few years back, there was a huge flood of Syrian refugees trying to go to England, specifically for some reason. Well, someone analyzed my uncle's route, decided it was the best route for the refugees, made the refugees pay all the money they had. When my uncle did a pit stop in Hungary, and he was sleeping on the side of the road in his lorry, 23 individual Syrian refugees entered his lorry. "'I'm not too sure, but I believe the lorry storage units are airtight. "'Let's say it is. A sick cunt took all the money off 23 refugees promising them they'd go to England, Locked them in an airtight lorry storage unit. "'They stayed in there for 1824 hours until they were caught at the border of France. "'Now, it doesn't sound too scary, but imagine you're my uncle. "'Hi, uncle!' You park your lorry in a ferry off to Dover in England. They call you down back to your lorry from the ship, saying they found something in the storage unit. Out comes off 23 people, all malnourished, struggling to breathe, sweaty, bewildered, poor refugees... I once went up to a small mountain town in Colorado with my dad to stay for a few days. We have a cabin up there and so we had a place to stay. After we got settled in and were in our beds, my dad opened all the windows. They had screens to let natural air blow through the cabin. Two of these windows were in the bedroom with us, one of them very large and was directly above the main bed where I slept. Two weird things happened that night. I was kinda restless that night so I woke up at random times before falling asleep again. At one point I woke up and it was sometime early in the morning and I heard rustling outside. I didn't think anything of it until I realized they were footsteps. I started to listen a little more closely and realized they didn't sound like an animal walking, but more like something standing up and kinda shuffling through the leaves. I was a little freaked out because it sounded like it was right outside the window. But I started to lose consciousness again and concluded it may have been a deer. Some time passed, and I woke up again to hear more rustling. Then suddenly a dog's howl, like a wolf or a coyote howling right outside the window. In my head, I just thought, nope. Then there was another howl, and another, and another, and another. More and more howling just kept popping up, and it kept getting louder and louder. I was too tired to be freaked out, so I just grabbed another pillow and slammed it on my head to cover my ears. I told myself, no, I don't have time for this, and tried to block out the noise to go back to sleep. It eventually died down, and I passed out again. The next morning, I was telling my dad about the rustling. As I started to tell him about the howling, he piped up and said, Did you also hear that howling? I said yeah before he gave a nervous chuckle about it and went back to his stuff. Honestly, I'm more freaked out about what the rustling and walking prior to the howling could been, because windows are about normal height, and someone who's tall could easily have looked in on a sleeping. I was working at a mall under construction, and it was slowly becoming winter where I am. So that means 5 p.m. the sun goes down and 6 p.m. is dark. It was after 5 p.m. and the mall didn't have lights. So we had to work by our work light. We were the last guys on site, and because he is first aid, my boss and I could work alone. At one point, my boss asked me to go do something in the bathrooms at the back. The bathrooms were down this long hallway. This really long hallway lots of turns and such with no lights besides my phone. So I got to the one bathroom and I was underneath the sink just trying to level out the counters when my phone crashed and it had to restart. I noticed I had like 4% battery, so I turned off the light and figured I'd open a door further down the hallway and it would give me some light that I could get used to. At this point, I just needed to silicon the counter to the cabinet so I didn't need much light. I hear something down the hallway after like five minutes. I figured it was just my boss, so I continued work. It was super dark at this point, so any light from the outside was pretty much gone. I looked over to the doorway, and I'm under the sink across the room, and in the doorway I can barely make out a huge person standing there. My boss was five feet six. Uh, It wasn't him. I laid there pretty freaked out, and then the figure moved, and I asked if someone was there. Then I heard running, pitch-black footsteps hurriedly running away from me. I freaked out, so I went to call my boss, cause he was like ten minutes away from me and I didn't know where we was at the time, but my phone had died, so now I have to make it back to my boss, but there's someone in between me and him, cause the dude ran off away from the door. That walk back to my boss was probably one of the freakiest things, because I was expecting someone to jump out and stab me. I made it back to my boss, and he's like, Oh, you're finished, and I told him my story. So he told me that we can just finish up tomorrow, and we decided to leave. We packed our tools and brought them with us. The next day, there was a toolbox meeting for all of the trades to attend, and some toolboxes had been stolen, as well as copper pipe. The door that I had opened for light the previous day led to an area where there was a lot of HIVAC units. However, the area wasn't very sealed off. You could walk in off the street. What I think happened is some dudes were stealing copper pipe in that area, and when I opened the door, they got spooked. So someone came in to check it out, and when they heard me ask, they booked it and went into the mall. When I left, uh, they must have had another guy come in and help get some toolboxes, because a big one was missing. I was super out of shape at the time, and I was recovering from a dislocated pelvis that had been set recently, so it freaked me out, because if that dude fought me, I would die it immediately. It was a chilly autumn night. And my girlfriend and I had just finished watching a movie at the local theater as we walked to my car. We couldn't help but feel the eerie atmosphere that enveloped the town. The moon was full, casting an ethereal glow on the deserted streets. as I drove my girlfriend home. We chatted about the movie and our plans for the weekend. The conversation was light and easy, providing a welcome distraction from the unsettling ambience outside. AS WE TURNED ONTO A PARTICULARLY DARK STRETCH OF ROAD, I FELT A SHIVER RUN DOWN MY SPINE. SUDDENLY, WITHOUT WARNING, A TRANSPARENT FIGURE APPEARED IN THE MIDDLE OF THE ROAD. IT WAS A GIRL WITH LONG FLOWING HAIR AND A WHITE DRESS THAT SEEMED TO SHIMMER IN THE MOONLIGHT. I FROZE, UNABLE TO REACT, AND BEFORE I KNEW IT, MY CAR HAD PASSED RIGHT THROUGH HER. I GLANCED nervously IN THE REARVIEW MIRROR, BUT THERE WAS NO TRACE OF THE GIRL. I knew I hadn't hit anything, at least not anything physical. In a desperate attempt to make sense of what had just happened, my mind raced to find a logical explanation. Steam from a sewer. Fog. A plastic bag. I must be going crazy, I thought. The silence in the car was deafening as I struggled to find the words to say. Finally, my girlfriend broke the silence with a trembling voice. Was that a ghost? I swallowed hard, my heart pounding in my chest. I... I don't know. I thought I was just imagining things, but if you saw it too, we exchanged a look of disbelief and fear as the reality of our encounter sunk in. We had both seen the same apparition, and there was no denying it now. That night, our drive home was filled with uneasy silence, punctuated only by our racing thoughts, I lived in a big 1840s colonial house with three of my friends for a while. It was set back in 50-plus acres of state wildlife property, and it was a gorgeous house. The bedrooms were all upstairs and all lined up down the hall. Our third night in the house, right about 30 minutes after we had all sort of called it a night, my doorknob rattled like someone was fiddling with it. Then I heard the door next to mine rattle, and the next, and the next, all the way down the hall, one at a time. The next morning, one of my housemates asked why I was messing with the doors, since she had asked the two guys in the house, and neither of them knew what she was talking about. One night I woke up with an intense urge to get out of bed, like my brain screaming at me to get up. I laid still for a while, thinking maybe I had been woken up by a noise, but it was around 3 a.m. and dead quiet. I went into the hallway, and as soon as I walked out into the hall, all of my roommates opened their doors and came out too. We were all woken up, but no one heard anything, and they had the same urgent get-up feeling I did. We just shrugged and went back to sleep. Weird things would happen there strange objects would show up in the basement or crawl space like old old suitcases or a kid's rocking chair once a vase just random stuff you would occasionally hear footsteps running down the bedroom hall and down the stairs if you were in the living room below i could go on that house was really strange never felt threatened just weird In the aftermath of the world's devastation, our small community struggled to survive. Food was scarce, and the once familiar landscapes had transformed into a mutated wasteland. As one of the skilled hunters in our group, it was my responsibility to venture into the unknown and bring back the resources we desperately needed. We set off a small band of hardened hunters, each an expert in their own right but I had a knack for improvising traps and weapons that often made the difference between life and death. As we journeyed further into the mutated wasteland, we encountered creatures that defied belief. Some were grotesque amalgamations of animals we had once known, while others were entirely new species born of the catastrophe. We fought and killed many of these monstrous creatures, and I devised a series of creative and deadly methods to dispatch them. One such trap involved rigging a tripwire to a deadfall, crushing a reptilian beast that boasted scaly armor and razor-sharp teeth. Another time I crafted a makeshift spear from a broken tree branch and took down a massive six-legged creature with the precision of a skilled marksman. But our most harrowing encounter came when we were ambushed by the most powerful and deadly creature we had ever faced. The beast stood on four muscular legs, its twisted form covered in spiked armored plating. Its eyes glowed with a malevolent intelligence that sent chills down our spines. We were outmatched, and one by one, my fellow hunters fell to the creature's relentless onslaught. As the last surviving hunter, I knew I had to find a way to defeat the beast. Drawing upon my knowledge of the creature's habits and weaknesses, I devised a plan. I studied the predator's scent, marking habits, and chemical communication, using my findings to create a synthetic pheromone to lure the creature into a trap. By placing the pheromone in strategic locations, I was able to manipulate the predator's movements and create an opportunity to strike. The beast approached the trap, its keen senses drawn to the irresistible scent. As it closed in, I sprang into action, launching my carefully prepared attack that finally brought the creature down. Exhausted and battered, I knew my fallen comrades would not have died in vain. When I returned to our community, I brought not only much, needed resources, but also tales of our harrowing encounters and a new found appreciation for the power of human ingenuity. Our world might have changed beyond recognition, but the resilience and adaptability of the human spirit remained a force to be reckoned with. Yesterday, me and a friend decided to go to the nearby woods to smoke a bowl and hang out. This wooded area is rather small, but has lots of dense brush, giving us lots of cover. I brought my brand new glockett tool and a can of saber red Ox just in case. We went into the woods a decent distance and smoked a bowl. I was going to repack the bowl when I suddenly heard some very loud and very close footsteps right behind me. I didn't see the guy since I was preoccupied with grabbing my backpack, but my friend did. He described him as maybe a five feet eleven white male in his fifties wearing a white shirt and a cap. He had snuck up behind us in a wooded area full of dense brush and dry leaves until he was a mere five yards away, at which point he started to speed walk towards us without saying a word. We both made it out of there and took cover behind a rotting log where we joked about how Sam Fisher just attacked us. I personally feel like someone wouldn't be that stealthy just to sneak up on two kids smoking weed, and that he may have had some bad motive or something. I can post pictures of the location if you guys request it, In nineteen ninety-two or ninety-three, I hiked up Mule Mountain from a ridge on the southeast end. I was about one-quarter mile from the mountain, walking through a small bunchgrass meadow enclosed with old growth. First, elk hunting. It was unusually quiet, so I was walking as softly as possible. I had stopped to listen and watch. When off to my right from deep in the timber, I heard very clearly and loudly a sound like someone blowing across the mouth of a soda bottle. It wasn't a bear woofing. There were three split-second bursts in rapid succession, followed by a loud guttural gurgling call similar to a deep trill. At sixty years of age, I have spent a majority of my life in the Oregon woods, but have never heard these sounds before or since. It stirred what I call the caveman response, a deep primeval fear that immediately throws you into the fight-or-flight mode. I left by the shortest route possible back to my truck. I have never returned to that area. It's as if my instincts tell me not to, that there's something that didn't want me there. My buddy and I had a tradition of hiking deep into the backwoods where human footprints were few and far between, a silent, serene world where our conversations were the only disturbance to the constant symphony of nature. That's where our story begins, way out there with nobody in sight. One particular evening, as the sun dipped below the horizon, I began to gather some wood for a campfire, picking up sticks here and there, My eyes landed on a stick that stood out from the rest. It was about five feet long, about three inches wide. The perfect size for a walking stick. Excitement coursed through me as I picked it up. It was straight and mostly smooth. The ideal companion for long hikes. What was really surprising was that one end was smoother than the rest. A thought bubbled up in my mind. Had I stumbled upon a fellow hiker's discarded walking stick, my fingers traced the meticulously whittled end, admiring the craftsmanship. But as my eyes took in the details, I realized with an escalating sense of disbelief that it wasn't a handle. Not even close. It was unmistakably and irrevocably a penis. A phallic masterpiece carved into the end of this seemingly innocent stick. I was holding a literal dick stick. My initial shock quickly morphed into awed fascination. This wasn't just a quick, crude job done out of adolescent boredom. This was a work of art, carved with purpose, precision, and, bizarrely enough, affection. The details were intricate, right down to the carefully etched veins running along its length. Whoever had created this had invested hours, if not days, crafting this unique piece of art. Stunned, I showed it to my buddy, whose wide-eyed expression mirrored my own. We burst into laughter, the echoing sound a stark contrast to the silence of the surrounding wilderness. There, under the stars, we shared a moment of surreal hilarity, the product of someone's bizarre pastime. From that day forward, our hikes took on an extra dimension. Every stick picked up was scrutinized in our campfire stories at a new, undeniably strange champion. The forest, it seemed, held secrets far more peculiar than we could have ever imagined. I work in the outdoor field and lead trips regularly. I once led a trip to the top of Mount Stringer in North Carolina. It's a tough climb to get to the top in about six miles from the nearest road. I was leading a group of eight middle school kids and had one co-instructor. We were camping out on top of the mountain and it was a beautiful night with a full moon. The kids and the other co-instructor went to bed in their tents. I chose to spend the night in a hammock that night. I was really into a book I was reading, so I stayed up and read until about 10.30 p.m. I turned my headlamp off to settle in for the night. Everything around me was rather bright, from the moon and from the position I was in. I could see down the trail we had hiked to get to the top. I laid there enjoying the scenery and noticed something moving on the trail. Bears are common in the area, so I perked up. As it got closer, I could tell it was a person. We were in the middle of nowhere and there was someone hiking up the trail with no headlamp or any gear. I was just frozen, watching this person move closer to our camp. They arrived at the top of the mountain where we were and just stopped. I watched as what appeared to be a man surveyed our camp. I really could only see the outline of him. He stood there for what seemed like thirty minutes, but may have been ten. He then turned, sat down under a tree facing our camp. He was sitting up in a way that I knew he wasn't trying to sleep. He just sat there, staring at our camp. I had no idea what to do. I decided to wait it out. I waited, just staring at the man while he stared at my camp. This went on until about 3.30 a.m. Then he stood up, took a moment to survey my camp, a few minutes longer, and then went back down the trail he came upon. I, to this day, have no idea what that was all about, but it freaked me out. I was paranoid that we were being followed for the rest of the trip. Working the night shift has a way of skewing your perception of time. Before you know it, the world is celebrating Christmas and you're just finishing up work at 1 a.m. That's exactly where I found myself one Christmas morning, about to embark on a six-hour drive north to spend the holiday with my parents. This wasn't a bustling cityscape. This was the rural South Island of New Zealand of landscape punctuated by small towns and vast stretches of untouched nature. It was a kind of place where traffic was sparse on a regular day, let alone at 1 a.m. on Christmas morning. Throughout my drive, I passed only a handful of cars, fellow night owls making their own solitary journeys. About halfway through my trip, I reached a stretch of road that was truly isolated. The mountains seemed to reach out and touch the sea with a narrow road carved into the cliffside. On one side, the towering cliffs rose into darkness. On the other, the roaring sea crashed against the rocky shore, its ebb and flow, a steady soundtrack to my journey. It was on this remote road, some 20 kilometers from the nearest town, that my headlights illuminated in an unusual sight. A man walking in the middle of nowhere. The pitch black night, the eerie sound of the waves, and the intermittent sea fog created an almost otherworldly backdrop to this lone figure. What made the scene even stranger was what he was carrying. A cheap blow-up doll slung over his shoulder. There were no houses in sight, and given the steep mountains and the proximity of the sea, it was clear there were no suitable places for a dwelling until I reached the next town. This man was truly in the middle of nowhere, and his presence was inexplicably unsettling. Friends have since asked me if I stopped to see if he needed help, suggesting he might have been left behind by someone. But in the face of that bizarre spectacle, under the vast expanse of the starry sky, with the relentless sea as my only companion, there was no way I was stopping. I drove on the image of the man and his blow-up doll growing smaller in my rear-view mirror. Even now the memory lingers. A lone figure in the darkness, a curious anomaly against the rugged beauty of rural New Zealand. I still don't know who he was or why he was there. All I knew is that six hour drive was the longest I've ever experienced. And I'll never forget that Christmas morning. When I served in the Navy, my role was in aviation. While deployed, I had the opportunity to be on the flight deck during the day. The Navy is renowned for its utmost vigilance in protecting the airspace above aircraft carriers. Any approaching aircraft is met with swift action, with alert jets launching to ensure the safety and security of the carrier. One morning, something caught my attention as I looked up, along with my fellow sailors I witnessed an aircraft in the distance. It had a distinct red star on its vertical stabilizer and was calmly cruising directly above our flight deck. It was an unusual sight because we were often reminded of how how the Russians are always testing our airspace and the need for us to respond promptly to any such incursions. However, this particular aircraft seemed to be peacefully soaring a few thousand feet above our flight deck, defying the expected reaction. The incident left us intrigued and sparked discussions among the crew. It was a reminder of the complex dynamics and constant surveillance that define naval operations, even when unexpected occurrences challenge our preconceived notions. I live at the base of Pike's Peak in Colorado Springs, surrounded by the majestic mountains. During the spring and summer, I spend a lot of my time exploring these rugged terrains. However, the scariest experience I've ever had in those mountains occurred during a severe lightning storm that put me and my two buddies in grave danger. It all started when five of us embarked on a mountain adventure, driving in a Jeep Wrangler and a Hummer. We received a phone call from someone who said they would meet us at our destination perfect we thought they provided us with directions to the camping spot and an alternate meet-up location in case they couldn't find it a simple spot easily accessible off the main road before the dense forest this way one of us could guide the third car back once enough time had passed accounting for the loss of cell service in the area everything seemed well planned until the storm hit If you've never experienced hail season on the front range of Colorado, you can't truly comprehend how swiftly a devastating storm can brew and dissipate. Out of nowhere, a gentle drizzle transformed into a torrential downpour, accompanied by hail the size of marbles. In the blink of an eye, our biggest predicament became apparent. The jeep, already packed with camping gear... A valuable telescope and various supplies only had two seats. There was no space for three people, no matter how we rearranged our belongings. Unspoken, but understood, we refused to leave anyone outside in the hail, and the thought of leaving just one person behind was out of the question. We were in this together, as the rain pelted us and the hail grew more intense. The real danger revealed itself. The electricity in the air crackled ominously, nestled within a canyon, the thunder reverberated, echoing off the rocky walls, making it seem as if Zeus himself had discovered my transgressions against Calliope and was unleashing his wrath. The deafening noise sent chills down our spines. Desperate for shelter, we rummaged through the jeep and found a blue tarp. With some quick thinking and resourcefulness, we managed to tie it between a few trees, creating a makeshift refuge from the rain. But it was one lightning bolt, in particular, that forever altered my perception of the Rockies' power. Approximately fifty feet from our huddled shelter, a fence marked the boundaries of a vast ranch. Though we couldn't see the ranch itself, the fence stood prominently, accompanied by a large pillar adorned with a sign warning trespassers of potential consequences, including being shot. And then it happened. While we anxiously waited for the storm to subside, amid countless flashes of lightning and thunderous booms, a colossal bolt of electricity arched around the mountain we were nestled against. It struck the post with a force that seemed to hold it captive for a seemingly eternal two or three seconds. The boat was enormous, and our horror knew no bounds as it occurred less than one hundred feet away. The most disturbing part was what followed. For a fleeting ten seconds after the boat dissipated, the trespassing sand glowed a molten red and emitted a deafening vibration that cut through the rest of the storm. Our friends in the Hummer returned about 45 minutes later, finding us in a clear sky, with temperatures soaring back to a balmy 75 degrees. The storm had vanished as if it were never there, leaving us shaken by the power we had witnessed.